0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this see. episode, it's an early season scorecard of the first two races with Tony Pedregon and Todd Venning. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson! Wilkerson goes 391, one two. Our NHRA on Fox analyst and our NHRA on Fox producer, Tell All. Perfect reaction time for Tony Simple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten-thousandths of a second... Hey, everybody. Brian Lones back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider coming off of an incredible weekend in Phoenix, Arizona, which caps two back to back weekends to start the 2021, or 22, rather, NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series. Um, You know, the guests on the show today, we have Tony Pedregon, of course, who is in the booth with me, and Todd Venny, a name that you likely know, uh, a writer for National Dragster for many, many years, a successful alcohol funny car racer, winning on the national event level, winning on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series level, and and his job is our pit producer on the show, meaning that he's gathering stories and dispatching reporters and kind of keeping an eye on things um, in terms of the storylines of a particular event. It's um, He is a guy who is very involved in the production of our TV shows, and that's why I'd love to have him on here, because he speaks from a, a different perspective, somebody that really has to be in tune and on top of everything that's going on. He's informed, and I think uh, you're going to like what he has to say. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Maybe that's the beauty of this. You might not like what he has to say at all, but... It is going to be a fun conversation with both of those guys, and you know the reality is um, I don't even really know where to start. I think a lot of times when we come off of a race weekend, there's a very clear direction the way the season's going, the way a particular team's going, the way a you know particular category is going. And good luck um, to determine any of that uh, on the professional level of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing at this moment. And it is uh, beyond anything I think I've seen, uh, certainly in my professional career in this sport, and it's great. And the, the 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 lack of ability that we have to just pinpoint a singular story, a dominating racer, a runaway freight train of performance um, in any of these categories is great. Obviously, Robert height has established himself as the premier driver in Funny Car right now. The premier team is that Auto Club Chevrolet team. But it's not like they have an incredibly... Uh, wide gulf between themselves and everybody else they you know they don't they don't have a moat around them there are many now funny cars that can run in the three eighties. Now they do it more consistently and they've done it uh, with the right timing better than others have for the first two races. But you know, that funny car class is going to continue to deliver top fuel. I mean, look, Rob Passy wins first round against Doug Coletta. We're going to talk about that later on. I'm sure with uh, with both of these guys. And um, that was a big upset. And then of course you have Clay Milliken coming out of that number 13 spot to make the final round against Salinas. Um, That speaks to top fuel, that the fact that the number 13 qualifier can wade through, um, for the most part, on on sheer performance, wade through a field and get to a final is everything that we thought it was going to be this year in top fuel. and, And that's further proof, right? This idea that there are 10 to 12 to 14 cars on the property any given weekend that have the ability to win the race. Um, not necessarily saying there's only that number of cars, but within the qualified 16, you can look at 12 of them, maybe sometimes even 13, and, and go, this person has the um, r- desire, the ability, and the, and maybe the obligation to win the race this weekend. And that's exactly what we were shown uh, with Mike Salinas and, and Clay Milliken last weekend, two guys that we didn't necessarily have pinpointed as uh, people who were going to be, you know, in that final round, but they showed us that they deserve to be there. They showed us why they got there, and um, they're going to continue to maybe prove us wrong as the season goes on, and they continue to rack up round wins and and other stuff of that nature. So, just an incredible weekend. Aaron Stanfield um, picking up the victory. You know, his wife was basically about ready to give birth when he was in Pomona. He gets home, they have the baby. He comes back out and wins the race. So, you know, final and a win back to back weeks for uh, for Stanfield this could be the year of Aaron. We could be sending a pro-stock championship trophy to the great state of Louisiana by the end of the season. Still a long way to go for everybody. But rather than ramble on, I'm just going to get right into our guest because uh, I know these conversations will go maybe a little longer than normal, but we all have great stuff to say, I think. And and these two guys bring such great perspective. I want to hear everything they have to say. So without further ado, let's uh, let's transition into conversation mode here. All right, so our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider as uh, my right-hand man on the NHRA on Fox broadcast, Mr. Tony Pedragon. Tony, how you doing, man? Good morning, Brian. It was a pretty wild
1: first couple of races.
0: Yeah, it was great. And that's why I wanted to kind of gather you and and Todd Venny and and really kind of go through what we've seen over these two races. Having them back-to-back was great. And, you know, I guess I just want to go kind of class-by-class, and I want to start with Top Fuel because, to me, that's been kind of the headliner of uh, of these first two races, and Let's start overall picture in Top Fuel. I think it's maybe better than we even thought it could be. I don't know. It's wild.
1: No, it is better. I think sometimes when we hype it up the way that we do, and you know, there were you know, we talked about all the, of course, the new team, uh, Tony Stewart coming in, and that car running a little better than I thought. You know, I, I got to yeah. give credit to uh, to Neil and even Mike Damagala into that team. Um, you know, because unlike unlike Antron's team and you know, unlike a couple of other teams that we talked about, I mean, they were really the only ones that had to build, not necessarily from scratch, but they really had to, literally had to build a team. Yeah, Uh, They didn't inherit all the parts and stay in the same shop. So, uh, but I think they've done a great job. And, uh, you know, Neil, I think to some degree was untested, but when you look at his experience and everyone that he's worked with, worked under, worked above, um, you've been testing. I mean, that car's been going down the track. So you got to give you gotta almost give that car like a B plus. The car's performance, of course, they haven't really had the results that they want. But you know, again, there's the car, there's the driver.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the big story there, right? I mean, she uh, Leah, of course, had a 118 reaction time first round in Pomona, then was uh, 127 in the first round in Phoenix. And you know, we've made a big deal. A lot of drivers like Brittany Force kind of going the other way. But if you're gonna talk about someone improving, we also have to talk about someone who's not getting there yet and the reality the reality of the situation is clearly over the first two races if let alone 118 if you're 80 you're going to be very late in this class so something's going to change in a hurry there
1: yeah you know we're two races in you know and, and i'm i'm not going to say anything that leah doesn't realize uh and it's not just leah i mean there's a couple of drivers that are looking at the numbers and they're saying wow i mean these guys are for real uh you know josh Hart's another one. He's you know, he, he he had a little bit of luck, I think, at the last race. Uh, you know, beating I think it was beating Leah in the second round. And you know, he's if you look at the numbers, he's fallen off. But again, it's very early; we're only two races in. But you know, when you when you look at Leah, and and I think I think that she knocked Don. I know Don's a tough team owner. There's no question about that. You can ask anyone that's driven for him. You can ask any of the 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 uh, the crew chiefs that have tuned for him. Hey, Don is just one of those very demanding team owners. And if you've ever worked for one like I have, you know, people in this sport, in this business, they expect results. And, and occasionally you'll run across a team owner that is, um, you know, he's very good. He's got people skills. And and not everyone does. I'm not saying that Don doesn't. I just know that I respect Don Schumacher as a team owner. I think, you know, he'll go down in history as one of. One of the greatest uh, multi-car team yes. owners, um, but I think he got a little bit of a bad rap because I know Leah over the PA. I might have been at Vegas, made a comment, uh, and I think it referred to you know a dragon breathing down her back, and you know I I think that's just what you get, and and maybe it, you know for Leah maybe she just needed to be in a different environment, but I think at this point it proves to me that it may not have been Don. I mean those demons, uh, if you will, they kind of lie within you know people. Uh, you know internally and I, I know Mike Salinas went through this where you know he said he consulted with someone I, I don't think that's the case I think that um I think people have to find themselves I think they have to find their their uh, their range you know what works for them yeah. I think a lot of it is mental and when you look at her reaction times and qualifying you know she's good she's solid yes um it just you know it, it competition is a different thing and it changes people it makes people tight makes people some it makes some people loose but um I, there's no question i mean you go back and look at the, some of the races you know we showed the highlights of leah winning that phoenix race two consecutive years and and she did a good job i mean she won some races on hole shots so yes. it's yeah. there it, the, the the fire does burn i think it's just uh you know it's it's just a matter of her finding that range and you know hey there's been a lot going on with that team and I'm sure a lot of things that have happened, you know, with her personally and, um, you know, her, like a few other drivers that have a lot of potential, just a matter of time.
0: Just a matter of time. Yeah. And the race car, as we said, uh, is there. Um, how about Clay Milliken? I mean, listen, uh, to, to to Clay Milliken and, <laughs> and Mike Clover's credit, um, none of us had him on the scorecard, right? None of us woke up Sunday morning and looked at each other at the TV truck and said, OK, well, Milliken's winning this thing today or Milliken's going to be in the final. I mean, the car ran in the mid 70s and qualifying. It wasn't overly impressive. But then all of a sudden they start reeling off a 69 and, and they make their way to a final final round
1: brian you and me both i don't think either of us have a problem with apologies and saying look we were wrong and yeah. i don't think we were really wrong about anything i'm going to apologize for not mentioning clay in that conversation more clay mike Clover, doug stringer and that that entire team um and when you go back and look at the ladder i mean they were okay in the first round I, you know and, and okay they made a good run i mean that car got down the racetrack um, but while everyone's, you, you see a 67, a 68 pop up, pop up on the board and, you know, 76 is okay. It was enough to get the job done. Uh, you know, the parachuted trip Tatum came out, uh, who knows what that car would have run, but you know, the reality is, is Clay had a 67 light. He had three hundreds in the bank on the starting line. And then the second round, they stepped up a little again. There was a couple teams that spit out some sixties, uh, 70 flat, Josh Hart won with a 78. But it was the semifinal round that is what I apologize to these people for. A a 369, that means just the potential was there. But what they did and and the way that they did it, the opponent they did it with, um, he got off the starting line and he was very solid in the seat. And every time Clay does a burnout, it just reminds me that this is one of the the pure, I'm not even going to call them old school because I don't even know, just age doesn't qualify saying that somebody's old school. But when I hear that car do a burnout, it's smooth. I can hear it. It reminds me of when I was racing, I didn't have a throttle stop. It wasn't because I was stubborn. It's because I just felt that, look, a good driver can do a burnout in this range. Okay. I know the target is 6,000 RPM. If a driver can't get within... 100 or 200 RPM of that, then maybe he shouldn't be driving, he or she shouldn't be driving. Okay, so Clay can hit that target. And my other logic was for the tuner, look, if my car, it's if it's going to be 58 or 5900 or 61 or 6200, if something's going to happen in that range, maybe we should make that window a little bit bigger. But when I hear Clay do a burnout, it always reminds me that this is a good solid smooth driver a lot of capabilities a lot more capabilities and a much better feel for the car than a lot of drivers because a lot of drivers have been brought up with training wheels there's nothing wrong with right. that okay you got to get the car from the starting line to the finish line but it's when things happen this is when a guy like clay millican um really shines and and i just think they did a great job i don't know what happened i haven't talked to either of them but both cars fell off but uh, what they did in the semifinals, how they got to the final and even the final when both cars fell off, it was still it was still a spectacular race.
0: Yeah, It really was. And, um, you know, Gainesville in a couple of weeks is going to be uh, one of these kind of litmus tests for them. I mean, is it is it something they can repeat in terms of uh, showing up there and kind of standing in the ring with with what uh, promises to be another like bumper crop of top fuel cars? Um, let's let's turn our attention a little bit here to the Coletta team. Obviously, we've been watching them with laser focus because of the Alan Johnson story and Jason McCulloch and all the work that they've put in behind the scenes. Um the number one qualifier for Doug was a big deal. The first round loss was certainly a kick in the, uh, kick in the old yam bag for, so to speak for those guys. And I do think we're seeing forward progress there though, even though we don't, we're not talking about late round finishes yet. I think both of those cars, Langdon's and Coletta's are looking stronger than they did at the end of last year.
1: Yeah. I think Sean Langdon, uh, the fact that they ran a 69 in the first round means that when they're able to do that on a consistent basis, you combine that with his, with his ability on the starting line. And you know, it's just, it's, it means the top three driver. And, and when you say top three, any, any of the top six drivers are, you know, you're talking a, a reaction time range, um, at 50 or better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that means they're going to win races. They're going to win races when they have a car that's not quite as quick as their opponents, they're going to win races. They're just an impact player, impact driver. Um, you know, And I don't think there's any cause for concern with Doug. I mean, the fact that they had that kind of performance in the semifinals, if, if that car smokes the tires 10 more races, if they go into the countdown as the 8th or ninth seed, which I don't think that's going to happen, I would still like his odds because – they're still finding their way. And the fact that Allen has already found the rain, yeah. uh, there's going to be more there, and they just need to find some consistency. And I think Doug Coletta is going to find the winner's circle sooner than his competition would have liked.
0: And uh, Mike Salinas, you know, this is a team that we all against for the same reasons that we're watching the Coletta team, but just the opposite, meaning that uh, Allen was there and, and he stepped away. And as we've made abundantly clear, <laughs> Uh, he is still definitely, you know, he may not be standing in their pit area, but he is definitely a phone call away and and is you know providing good information. Um, you know, I liked this, I liked this win for Rob Flint a lot. You know, I like Rob; he's a he's a very likable guy, and he was very earnest and he was very humble in the the post race interview, uh, really thanking the Salinas family for for taking him in. He said his options were limited, and um, you know, this I think puts them on a pretty good path as well.
1: Rob is is. uh Is one of those guys that when you hear the 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 cliche, you got to watch out for the quiet ones. That's Rob Flynn. You got to watch out for that guy. Uh, But you know, his experience speaks for itself. Um, You know, but watching that team and watching Mike Salinas, it's it's going to be like watching the stock market. I mean, we're we see it. It's like still creeping up. It's still good, but is it going to is it going to drop one day? Is it going to drop now? Uh, while I don't agree with uh, Mike Salinas and his uh, his take on the NHRA and what it's going to take to improve it, uh, you know, and of course the take from Susan Wade and that article from both of them yeah. um, on the track, they're very solid. And, you know, you got to give it to Mike for, for turning it around. You know, he was really getting crushed by the competition and, you know, there again, uh, you know, Mike, I think has found his way. He's found a level of confidence and, you you know finding it is one thing but doing it consistently is another thing uh but when mike salinas goes into competition i think he's just going to be one of those drivers that you're going to have to reckon with uh, the mike salinas of last year um the first you know especially the first part of the year you know mike was one of those guys that it's like hey this is going to be a good draw because you don't know which one you're going to get and he just seemed to you know not be able to hand handle the pressure but whatever he's done whatever he's turned around um it's not good it's great
0: yeah and I gotta believe too that you know the crew guys on that car which we've also talked about in depth but this this I think probably felt as good or better a win for those guys than maybe they've ever had just because the amount of people that were I want to say writing Mike off because neither you or I wrote them off but the, the amount of people that were kind of dismissive of that team after Alan Johnson went over to Coletta's I think these guys like get to stand up and, and hold their chin up a little bit higher and go look at us now
1: Yeah, I agree, Brian. And, you know, the recipe is one thing. Okay, so, yes, you've been giving this award-winning recipe that could win you a championship. And, you know, we've talked about some of these tuners just in time. They they tend to put their own signature on it. Well, that's one thing, but the kitchen atmosphere changes. And that's really going to be the test for Rob Flynn. You know, Mike seems to be pretty solid in the seat. Uh, He's not the best, but he will be able to compete and he's above average, um, but I'm I'm going to be more interested in seeing where this car is at five six races into the season, especially when it starts to warm up a little. That's going to be the test for yeah. Rob Flint.
0: Yeah, and uh, I want to move to Nitro Funny Car category because um, you know it has been the Robert Heights show so far, and I'm not sure that's going to relent. Um, obviously, Hagen had a great race too, but Height's car. Uh, whether it's the fact that they've you know went back to this 2019 setup, whatever they've done, they're they're riding very high right now.
1: Well, Funny Car is is a lot like Top Fuel. I mean, there are still nine. The top nine drivers have the potential of winning, but Robert height does stick out. here's why he sticks out. I mean, he's he's when you look at Matt Hagen and Ron Caps and even even Cruz. And Tim Wilkerson, Tim has just been absolutely impressive. Forget about the first round loss. I mean, he was going for it um, in that first round, I think. And that's admirable. I mean, for a guy to say, look, I miscalculated the conditions and he didn't want to run a 90, a low 90. I mean, I think that Tim Wilkerson has come to terms with what the competition is going to be like. Of course, he's just got to step it up in the seat. That's not an easy thing to do. But Robert Height, when you just look at the numbers, he... He really, I don't want to say he should have been because he had that number one spot nabbed from him in the last qualifying session at Phoenix. But number one qualifier, number two qualifier. And every round, he's hes run hes run in the 80s. I mean, I'm, I wrote the numbers down. 89, 89, 86, 86 in Pomona. 86, 85, 84, 83. And, you know, that's going to be hard to beat. But the competition is and has to look at that and say to themselves, this is what we're gonna have to deal with this year. It's not gonna go away. The car's not going to skip a beat when it gets hot. Um and and I think and I, I mean I think the weight of the world is on the shoulders of the competition. I think the task is Hagen and Caps and Cruz, I mean, they've all shown in Wilkerson they can run with them. Yeah. Um they just, you know, when it comes to the second round semifinals. I think the track prep, I think NHRA has made a lot of improvements. Uh, things will change when it gets hot in the summer, but we'll worry about that when we get there. But right now, come second round semifinals, where we used to see cars pull it back, you know, five hundredths of a second. Um, if it doesn't get that hot, it's it's still going to be good, still going to be quick. So I think I think a lot of strategy is going to go into having to compete with Robert, but uh, funny car is loaded.
0: Yeah, and I think it, what's interesting to me is what's different about this year than than maybe in years past is if we're having this conversation, let's say three years ago about the performance that Roberts had over these first two races, we'd be talking, at least I would, be talking a lot about the intimidation factor that that car carries with it, and and man, you really got to be afraid of it. Uh, but it's different now because everybody else has gotten good as well. I mean, Caps can run in the mid eighties when he needs to. Cruz did it last weekend. Hagan can do it. Wilkerson can do it. So. That intimidation factor is lessened in a good way to me because it because the good cars are not going to go up there necessarily thinking they're at a huge disadvantage and overreach. The good cars are going up there going, we can run with this guy. He's just been doing a better job of it.
1: I agree. I you know I, when you look at Hagen and Caps, um, you know even Cruz. I mean those are those are drivers right there that when they race Robert, you know they have to have the performance, but you know, the one thing about Robert is he's just solid. You know, he's, it, it just, I've seen this pattern occasionally after a lot of good races, they'll miss one or two. And, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't bank on that, right. but I just, you know, I look at, I've always looked when I was racing and especially now, I just look at the patterns of drivers and Robert is very solid. Um, you're not going to get much from him uh, often, Uh, But occasionally, and that's when you got to catch Robert, you got to catch him when he's playing the odds, you know, when you have a good car. And this is I've always said this on the show. I've always remembered this when I was racing. It's not easy to drive a good car. You know, you see a lot of these guys on the bottom of the top 10 and they're firing shots and good reaction times It's like, wow, put that guy in a good car. Okay, put him in a good car and let's see him do that. <laughs> right. Psychologically, mentally, it's it's just it's a very difficult thing because you know you have a good car and you have to strategize. You have to size up your opponent and play the odds. And it's hard to maintain that high level all the time. You typically save it for the guy in the second round, especially when it really gets tough. You get that weight on your shoulders. You get all that pressure. Everybody looking at you, the, the network TV and the semifinals, and especially in the final round. But, but Robert's a very solid driver, but... When you look at the top five, you know it's rounded out by Tim Wilkerson. You got Cruz and fourth, Hagen. Those are the good cars, but you've got Alexis. I, these are the cars that haven't hit their stride. That I think can compete with Robert. They just they, in two races, they just haven't found it. And that's Alexis, and that's Force. Force has found it, but we're we're going to hear from him plenty. And and Task and Jr. You yep. know, you look at Jr.'s car, and you know they're running, you know, low nineties. And 80s, But, you know, that's a car that's just got to find it, find the right combination in Tasca. And I think when Tasca and JR do, these are a couple of, these are sharpshooters here. And I, I know they would love to get in that conversation they're going to. Uh, hopefully it'll be in Gainesville. But when they do, then we're, we're going to be more like, you know, top fuel. It's not going to be a repeat winner. But but right now a lot of these guys are gunning for, for Robert because it's been pretty impressive what they've done.
0: It really has been. And in pro stock, um, you know, what was shaping up to kind of look like the Erica show after Pomona, I think is actually the Aaron Stanfield show. I mean, Stanfield, two finals in a row, the one in Pomona. Uh, they had a you know major major thrash just to get the car up to the starting line to, for that final round, and it didn't go their way. But uh, he was he was very very strong in Phoenix, and you know this guy he's 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 quiet, he's young, he has won championships on basically every level of the sport, but the professional one. And this could be the year of Stanfield.
1: Yeah, this is what is scary good uh, for Aaron Stanfield. Uh, and, and I guess scary for the competition you know Erica is what she is I mean she is arguably one of the best on the starting line she seems to be you know I, I mentioned this on the show she, she seems to create these battles and I'm not saying that she fabricates them but it just seems like there's some drama there in in her life and you know that has driven her to be as good as she is sure. but what's dangerous about Aaron Stanfield is he's young he's no longer a rookie um, he's He's been through the highs and lows of pro stock. It just, it seems like he's found that sweet spot as a driver to where he, you know, he knows when he has to rise to the occasion, but even when he doesn't, he's, you know, he's pretty solid. And, you know, when you look at his reaction times winning the race, I mean, he's in the forties, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot of, a lot of stake there. I mean, this is a driver that, you know, can, can bang out the, you know, the, the double O's, the teens uh, and compete with. You know, with a guy like uh, uh, Dallas Glenn, the dangerous thing about Aaron is he's going to be among the top three or four drivers in pro stock. And that's saying something. And now it seems like he's got a car and a team to go with it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the names that we have not talked a lot about much of these first two races in pro stock is Greg Anderson. And, you know, there's always the constant back and forth KB versus elite type of thing. And, and to me right now, uh, elite clearly has uh, an advantage how long they have it for. Who knows? It tends to flow back and forth. But over these first two races, uh, the numbers that we have seen, especially when Stanfield ran that 50, um, elite does seem to have something in their back pocket right now. It sure does seem
1: like it. Uh, You cannot discount Dallas Glenn. We know uh, we're going to see a lot of him. I think that that little incident with his foot, uh, you know, may have, you know, may have created a little problem for them. But when you look at, uh, you know, it was, it was an all elite final round. I mean, Kyle Koretsky should have been in the final um, of this race. You know, he was the number one qualifier. He had a good car. Uh, I don't need to tell anyone or Kyle, when you look at an 83 reaction time, that's not good in a funny car or a top fuel dragster, right. let alone a uh, pro stock. And Troy Kaufman Jr., he wasn't great, but at 48, you know, all you have to do is beat your opponent. Um, you know, so for the most part, uh, Kyle karetsky uh, missed. Uh, I don't know if it was a distraction or, you know, what it was, but I, I think that Kyle knows that he needs to make some improvements uh, in his driving. Uh, if you want to compete, if you want to compete, and if you want to win races and compete with Erica – and, and Aaron Stanfield and, uh, you know, you go back to Greg, I don't, you know, right now Kyle has the car in, in the KB racing, you know, program. And I think it'll be interesting. Cause when you hear the name Greg Anderson, you think, okay, this guy's, this guy's, he's just kind of, you know, whatever happened has happened. He's he's, I know these changed motors, but I think it's going to be interesting when you talk about these two powerhouse house teams and they're not the only ones by any means out there there's still going to be some other races that are going to mix it up with these two teams, but it just seems like financially elite, um, has just got the upper hand right now, you know, with the talent and, and with, you know, with their resources. And that's going to be interesting to see if, if KB can, you know, can, uh, can once again be in that conversation with them. Uh, it seems like they can competitively, but they, they've got to get it together in the, in the terms of performance and, and, uh, you know, with Kyle having the best car right now,
0: and you know, one last point on Pro Stock, I like what I've seen so far out of Camry Caruso. Obviously, uh, you know she's still she's still getting her her abilities together on race day, but I like what we've seen in qualifying. The car has uh, you know been qualifying, you know, uh, kind of. Uh, back half of the top half, if you will, you know, seven, eight uh, in that range of qualifying. And I think it's it's two things I like about it. One is it proves that the Titan Racing Engine's engine package is competitive. And two, it shows that, you know, at least in qualifying anyway, she's making smooth, competitive runs. It's just a matter of her also, like Kyle Koretsky, finding that spot on Sunday and, and not letting it get away from him.
1: Brian, I'm, are you, I'm sure you can agree with this, I, I, and it's not that I'm old school, it's not that I'm, you know, tough. Uh, I just didn't really, I mean, I heard all the hype, I thought it was great, uh, but now that we've, we're have two races in, I think that she is a great addition to the class, not just because she's a female. Uh, I think she's very charismatic, I, I think she's got a great personality, um, but I see that. I see that apprehension. I see that, yeah. um, you know, lack of experience and the fact that she is honest and I can appreciate that. I can appreciate this. The fact that the car's running well, I think she's doing a good job, not a great job, but just give her a little bit, a little experience, get her comfortable in competition, comfortable with that car. But what I like about Camry is that she is not fake. She's not, you don't hear the same thing every time. And right. I, I got to tell you that, you know, and this is no knock. I mean, hey, I've been there and done that to where I didn't have a lot of experience and I was just happy to be there. But, you know, it's just it's refreshing to hear something different from a driver that is genuine. And and uh, and I think that's great. I think she's got a great smile. And uh, I think. In, in another handful of races when we see her in the late rounds, I think that's going to be good for her in terms of experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, to your point, I, I think it, it, to me, it's always good when it is we illustrate through the you know through our drivers, they illustrate that this is not easy. And you know, the fact that she has uh, been like forthright, as you said, like yeah, she's she'll come right on and say I made a mistake there, I missed it here or there, and and it's been uh, it's been good to listen to, and it's also a fun process for fans and, and guys like us to watch her evolve in that car and become uh, more and more comfortable. Last point before I let you go, you know, I feel like my expectation level of, of driver performance is higher this season than maybe it ever has been. And I think, I, and I think some people may feel that that's unfair, but I don't, I think the higher our expectations are on the, the drivers, on the athletes, on the performers, ultimately the better off it is because it means that, the entire sport is, is moving ahead.
1: Brian, it has to, I mean, it absolutely has to, I know that, you know, for a driver, for somebody to, to critique you and, 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 uh, and it's not criticism. I mean, if, if, if it was criticism, then, then let's have, let's have this debate and let's do it on NHRA.com. I mean, I've challenged fans that have <laughs> written in that didn't like me saying something. It's like, yeah. and I haven't heard, And by the way, coincidentally, I haven't heard back from anyone that have taken me up on that challenge. And it's not that, you know, and and, hey, I told you, Brian, and I know you're like this, too. I have no problem admitting that we said something wrong. We did something wrong. But you and I, we will bring to the table facts. We will bring to the table evidence. And that's something that I was taught by uh, by the people that I've worked around. When you do TV, you've got to be able to back up what you say and i think the true professional drivers and if you you know we had tony stewart in the booth on friday now there's a guy (laughs) there's a guy that has stood up to the test and that test is good critique i mean you're going to hear that he might be one of the greatest nascar drivers of all time uh in in any in other forms of sport but you've also heard this poor guy has been bombarded I, i maybe i shouldn't say poor guy but this guy has been bombarded with Every criticism from experts to non-experts. But when you want to be in the spotlight and when you're going to be on the big stage and when you have a million or a million and a half and hopefully two or two and a half million uh, sometime soon in our sport. Yeah, that's what you're going to be subjected to, because what the viewer is watching is they tune in because they see this exciting, cool looking, fast, explosive, incredible car. But what they connect with is the person who gets out of the car. For sure. You know, they like what they see. They like what they especially like what they hear. And the fan, the drivers, some drivers should give them more credit. They just want to see the genuine article. And and, and it's not always going to be great. You make a mistake. And unfortunately, we just have a job to point out what the viewer is watching and what they may or may not understand. So you want to play big time. You're going to have to you know, be subjected to the big time, whatever comes with it.
0: That's a fact. That is an absolute fact. Tony, thanks so much for taking <laughs> some time today and uh, looking forward to Gainesville, looking forward to the call out and looking forward to uh, what promises to be more huge fields. We already got there are already 19 top fuel cars pre-registered and, and there are several names not on there yet. I think we're already full and funny car there are, with more to come. And there are 21 pro stock cars on the sheet as well. Pro stock motorcycle will be full. It's going to be a bumper crop weekend.
1: Brian, I'll close with this. You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. (laughs) See ya.
0: So after a great chat with Tony Pedregon, we continue to stay inside the NHRA on Fox family as we are joined now by NHRA on Fox pit producer Todd Venny. How you doing, Todd? Good, hey, Brian. How are you? Good, man. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a couple of races to get us going this year, and, and that's why I'm kind of gathering some of the troops up here to, to talk ourselves through what we've been looking at. And, you know, when I started with Tony, we we began in Top Fuel, so I kind of want to start there again. And for you, kind of who's been the standout among what has been two standout races in the, in the category so far?
2: Well, you know, I, uh, Torrance has kind of flown under the radar, even though he did well both times. Obviously, he's got to be. Mike Salinas, I mean, did anyone really think he would do this well? Nobody immediately <laughs> immediately after AJ leaves. The guy's done great. He hasn't had I think every light he's had all years been in the sixties and seventies and the car has been there. It's you know, it's been great.
0: It really has been, and you know, one of the points I brought up with Tony and I'd like to expound a little bit on it with you, is this idea that you know, the crew guys in that car are, are are skilled and they're proud and they're seasoned. And this win for them probably carried a little bit more oomph than a lot of other ones that they've achieved over the time because of the amount of crap they had to listen to from guys like me and you and everybody else out there talking about, ooh, what's this, what's this car going to look like when AJ leaves? Well, guess what it looks like? Pretty damn good.
2: It, it does. I mean, I you know, Rob, Celine, uh, Rob uh, Flynn is, you know, he's been more than capable for 20 years you know I and mean, it's not like they were gonna fall in their face but just to think that they go out and run consistently that good you know I mean it it brings up Coletta I mean I don't think people thought he would do that poorly and I you know I don't think anyone thinks he's gonna keep doing that bad they they made that one killer run but then you know the rest of it the rest of it hasn't been that great I felt I felt kind of bad for him I mean you know you know, he did not think he was going to lose to a guy who has been racing since the '90s and has never won a round. one round. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. That was awesome. That's one of the best interviews. I watched the show back last night when I got home with my wife, and and she was like, "Play that back again. Who's who's this passy guy? I like this guy. If you, you remember, his interview was really genuine. It was, it was great. Really, really cool. Yeah."
0: It wasn't it wasn't you know crazy over the top, but he was he was he, for a guy who had just collected his first round win. He was cool, comic and collected, and he was funny. And you know what he said, I figured Doug would be down here reading the camping world catalog by the time I showed up. It was a great line.
2: It, well, that's the part she liked, and and I thought the same thing too. What what I remember about that is um, I had the top end camera stay on Coletta, like you know there wasn't another pair coming, and so it's like hey, just stay on Doug as he gets out of his car. Let's see what he does because he's a, you know, he doesn't seem like an outwardly emotional guy. And he came right over, he took his helmet off, and shook Patsy's hand, which, your class, class And then, and then he went back to his truck, and he was kind of pissed. But Jamie ran over and said, "Hey, would you would you mind talking on our show?" And and he said, "Sure." And then. Just, you know how things go sometimes. It took five minutes of him standing down there. Yeah. Just being his nice Doug Coletta. So to do an interview that, you know, he didn't want to do. And I I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. I'm interested to see them around. I mean, it is Alan Johnson and it is Doug Coletta and they've both been great for their entire career. So they're going to make some noise, but you just thought, you know, maybe after two full races, they maybe they would have by now.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because as a general rule um, in my life, I tend not to feel too bad for people that own their own private airplanes. You know, just, <laughs> it's just one of those things I don't do a lot of. But, for you know, for a guy like Doug, he's a, he's such a good guy. He, he got the number one qualifier hat on. Even that interview we did with him in the pits when he got the hat and when he was joking around saying, man, I forgot what color these things were because he hadn't got yeah. one in years. Um, he's just not the guy you ever want to see something like that happen to. I mean, it's an inevitability in the sport, but it's like, damn it, Doug, come on.
2: Yes, I think everybody wants to see him get at least one. And, you know, and he still can. I hope he does.
0: So um, let's talk about two names that we, we you briefly touched on. I want to talk about Torrance and Schumacher. And, you know, Torrance, is, as we've talked to them and, and been told, that they're in this mode of they're trying to, to work on different parts of the race car. They're working on, you know, fuel system changes and stuff like that. Effectively, let's call it playing the long game because they figure – everybody else has caught them to this point. So now they're trying to find what that next plateau is that they can pull ahead again. Strategically, it it doesn't seem too risky yet, but at some point you kind of have to get yourself into a, into a mode where you're back in the thick of things as we expect them to be.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, no one's going to count out someone who's won four championships in a row should, should probably be five in a row. And Steve's going to be there as a driver. Um, I'm not really too worried about them. I, you know, I, I didn't know until you guys were saying in a meeting, you or Bruno was saying in a meeting at uh, at Pomona, Hey, these guys are trying stuff. It's not that they're off a little bit. They're completely, you know, like what they've got is maxed out. You know, their whole program of perfect parts. You yep. know what I mean? Nothing but perfect parts ever. Good. They don't make any of their own stuff, but that every part is perfect or does not go on that car. And it's like, they've kind of like that tune up is maxed out. It's lined out. You know what I mean? There's nothing left. And so even if they really are, kind of experimenting I mean they're still doing well the guy I think he's third in points oh, absolutely I mean
0: semis he's, at both races, so he's I mean, uh you know we've 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 turned him into a victim of his own dominance right well it's like man what's wrong with this guy <laughs> he's only going to the semis every week I mean a lot of people would right. saw off a limb to have that type of performance but we look at him and see this this such a dominating force it's like your expectation is off the charts
2: you're right and it's and and to me it's it's I'm glad that they are. It's great to have somebody, you know, I, I like those guys. I you know, I love Hogan, I love the uh, Laganas. Um I think everybody does. Yeah. But it's nice, you know, who wants to see them just kick everybody's ass every single time, like like Schumacher in two thousand eight. It gets it gets boring. Not for them, but for everybody else. And now, you know, what is it like twelve guys we figured could legit win races, right? I yeah. mean it's it's just, it's crazy. And, like, and,
0: like that, and among them is Clay Milliken. you know, I mean, and that's and that shouldn't be a surprise to us either. But, you know, as Tony and I talked about earlier, it's like they didn't luck their way into that final. I mean, they erased their way there. The thing went in the 60s for the first time in forever.
2: Yes. The only break he got was someone who went totally, totally unnoticed because he did it so early. Trip Tatum with that 368 right out of the box. And then, you know, he kind of stayed up there around number two. And he was beating Clay. You know, when yeah. I, I don't know why their parachute would fall out. I don't know what the hell happened there. um I don't think it was part of the safety system because nope. you know the car kept pulling. That was just kind of an unfortunate thing. But he, I Clay went like a mid 70 or something. I think I think Tatum might have been him. And that's another example. Like that, you know, that's that's a car they could win. No people don't know that name. That's they could win. He could totally win. The guy's a good driver. He was good in in a field car and. They could win races.
0: Yeah, Tatum's car is Tatum's car is definitely full on uh, stealth fighter. You know, I mean, it's just because he's not the household name, and as much as we want, we try to tell people, hey, listen, this car's got the best of everything, and they got good people working on it. and Stewart's down there, and you know, if if things go the other way for him and the parachute stays in the pack, who knows how far he goes on Sunday at uh, at Phoenix? That's
2: right. And and then for for Clay, it just ended up being just the clayest thing ever. You know, runner-up. I mean, (laughs) he cuts a fifty light. He's been, he's gotten just like Selena's. He's got his act together. He really has. Sixties and the fifties. Every time, you know, he's just coming off that three sixty-nine. He leaves first. Selena slows down to a seventy-five, and Clay slows down to a seventy-six and loses. He never. He never. You know, things never seem to go his way. I would love to see Clay win like five races in a
0: row. Yeah. to the, uh, And, and, you know, I was talking to, we were all talking in the truck going back and forth before that final round. And I was saying to Jamie, just making kind of reinforcing some things with her, um, about, you know, how he and Clover have yet to win together in NHRA. And I said, when, when this happens, the guy's going to weep, right? You know, when he gets that win light with Mike Clover for the first time at one of these races, because they have been working so hard and so long to get it, uh, he will be a, a basket case, which always makes for, for compelling television. Uh, let's talk about Tony Schumacher. And, and are you what is your opinion of where they are right now versus where you thought they'd be? Is this, is this the car that you expected it to be out of the gate? And and obviously we expect them to mature like every other team will over the course of the season.
2: That's maybe slightly behind, but not that far behind. You know, I mean, he alluded to on his first qualifying runs. He, you know, he's the first one to say, uh, you know, I'm a champion. I'm a machine, this and that and, during good times. And he, readily admitted he's like hey man i'm a you know these cars are fast when he hopped into an intestine he was like damn this you know i'm a little behind this thing and he said he was a little you know he's got to ease into his reaction times they're they're gonna be there that's you know that's nothing but the best equipment he tony's like what he's done right i mean yeah. obviously you know I, I i'd say maybe they're a hair behind but like if they got to the final two races from now i, don't, I wouldn't be surprised i don't you know I don't think anyone would be surprised.
0: No, and I think you know it's it's not been two races and two first round losses. I mean, the car has gone. You know, they've they've made laps and and they're they're getting there with it. Um, he's not where we would expect him to be, or certainly we're not where I expect him to be by the end of the season on the starting line. And and yeah, to his quote in Pomona was really good because he said, you know, you, you don't. He said, "You don't forget how to do certain things." He said, "But you do kind of forget how to race, and and that's probably where he's finding himself now. Is that is finding that correct, you know, headspace on Sunday to be where he wants to be, and frankly, where he's going to need to be to actually have a shot at this." Um, I, and, and he's gone,
2: and also he has gone races. He has gone rounds at both events. Yeah, and he has beat killer guys like he just beat Justin Ashley, yeah. and yeah. I think he beat Caletta at Pomona. He
0: did in the you know, first he, round.
2: Yeah, so you know he's in it.
0: Um, you know, just probably the most intimidating, frightening, gnarly car on the tour of any class right now is Robert Heights, funny car. So let's transition to funny car. Cause that thing is just ridiculous.
2: Well, Bruno brought up a great point, um, this weekend. I, I did not notice that, it, which I'm sure you, you know, if you didn't already, that the, the, about six, eight, 60, 60 foot times in a row, that's incredible. I mean, and then he still cuts good light. So imagine how. Consistently, he staged that car to, to right for them to all come up 860s, and then it isn't even just that they're consistent, it's for crying out loud 860s, it's brutal, and then they make it stick, you know, and then and then they just go round after round, like he hasn't made a bad run of eliminations all year, and then they get down to both of these finals, and they're both gonna really be close, but then he won them both,
0: yeah. I mean, they have. They have as much mojo as they lacked last year. They have it all by the by truckloads now. I mean, those guys, they got swagger, which they should have. Uh, Robert, when we were talking to him on television, his tone of voice and speech cadence is actually a little bit different this year. I feel like last year he got so annoyed because uh, of his competitive nature, just got so annoyed at how the car was struggling, at least to his standards, that the guy was, you know, fairly snippy and, and he was short with us several times, which is okay. But you look at you look at him now, you listen to him now, it's, a, it's like a different guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, the confidence is there. And the, the other thing that's crazy is, so he has dominated. He hasn't lost a round this year. But the competition has been so close and so predictable. Like at Phoenix, seven out of the eight top qualifiers, win the first round and the one that didn't was nine over eight Alexis over yeah over J.R. Todd then it's one two three and four qualifiers in the semis and one against two in the final it almost went you know what I mean it just was it was nuts and, and, and I, I wish I mean I, I like I like a crazy race in the middle of summer when everyone's smoking their tires at, at a Bristol or something that's a driver's race but I like low 60s 85 degree track everybody's hauling ass And let's see who has the most horsepower because in a deal like that, that's always been Jimmy Proc's wheelhouse. You know. It'd be interesting to see if Robert can keep obviously he's not gonna win every race like they have the first two, but if he can keep that kind of an advantage when a few months from now the conditions change.
0: Yeah, and and to me, you know, for fans, I think it's it's important that we have both elements of that over the course, and in healthy doses over the course of a season, because the the races that we've watched, as you mentioned, this this idea of you know, wow, the guy's a number one qualifier, number two qualifier, and they're in the final round. You know, you, we you want to see that because it it lends it lends validity to the sport. It lends validity to this idea that we're going to qualify these cars and the best two should go to the end. But the other side of it is those midsummer races when we have a lot of crazy first round upsets or some wild stuff happens. You also want to have that, but you just, to me, you don't want to have too much of either one. You need to have that balance. You don't want people to show up and think, well, you qualified number one, they're a lock for it. And then you also don't necessarily want people showing up all the time going, is there even any skill involved in this or is it just simply like rolling the dice, right?
2: Yes, I completely agree.
0: So, you know, Hagen, uh, obviously, that at 82 is just a crushing run as well. And, you know, you watch Tony Stewart at the starting line, kind of watching that funny car team. And and you can almost see the pride in his face. I mean, he, of the, the many good decisions he's made over the course of his career, um, having both the top fuel car and the nitro funny car team was definitely his best choice as far as the the drag racing venture has gone.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've been friends with Robert Height since... Way before he was a driver, I don't know Matt Hagan really, um, but it would have been it would have been awful good for drag racing if if Stewart's team would have won. I mean that that's that's the biggest thing to me. That's the biggest thing that's happened to drag racing in a few years. I mean Tony Stewart, he's like a modern day AJ Foyt or something, right? I mean who in in the last twenty years has accomplished what this guy has done? And the fact that he's interested in drag racing, you know what I mean? And he's oh, yeah. at all races and he's feeling too great. Teams, I mean, that's that's just so that's just so good for the sport.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the guy, the guy was a number one qualifier and, and the Associated Press picked it up. I mean, it was run on the front page of ESPN.com. These are not places we typically find ourselves. To so to your point, when they actually uh, when they actually lock one up as far as a race win, it's going to be a major splash, and and if that's that's something that. This, this Tony Stewart effect that we've talked about, whether we're talking about it on the show or, or elsewhere, that's when we're going to start to see the real kind of, what is the Tony Stewart effect? And and so far, it's qualify number one in the AP, <laughs> the AP reports yeah. on you.
2: Yeah, it's just great to have him there. I mean, it's just it's just great that he cares about drag racing enough. You know, it's not just some another business venture for him. He's there, you know.
0: Fully invested. I, I, I love it. Who do you think uh, needs to kind of get on the uh, get on the horse very quickly in Funny Car, or not, or risk kind of falling by the wayside?
2: Well, um, you know, I think most of the guys who you would think are going to do good have, um, like Cruz, hasn't gotten a lot of of play, and he's right in it. Wilkerson is right in it. You um, know, yeah, unbelievable
0: uh, story there. I mean, just it, it's, uh, just uh, unreal. Uh,
2: how can a guy be the crew chief be the driver run another team run businesses at home you know he's a father he's a grandfather you know it's i heard that jimmy prock went up to him at some point uh, maybe you were even saying it and, and it was just like tim i don't i can't even believe that you can do what you can do it's amazing
0: yeah that's the ultimate compliment right
2: yeah um in top fuel you know there's doug and then and then the first one that comes to mind it's like you know, Leah, that's, that's hard to watch. I mean, that's, that is, I hate to see that, you know, you, you're, you're getting beat, you're getting left on. And right after you were doing fine in qualifying, you know, you cut fifties and sixties. And then it's almost like, you know, it's almost like you try too hard or something. I mean, people can do that, you know, and then, and then I imagine people are like, Oh, well, you know, don't try too hard. Just, just pretend that it's a qualifying run. Well, it's not a qualifying run. Okay, Right. right. everybody's right. watching. I mean, imagine the pressure that's on her, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. all her eggs are in one basket. Holy cow! It's her husband's team, and you know they've got the funding, and they've got all this equipment, and they've got Todd Okahara, and they've got you know it's all right there, and it's early, but it, it's that's that's been a bummer for her. I kind of I feel for it like to see her do. I'd like to see her do
0: better. Yeah. And you know how this stuff goes too. It's like, and then you have every, you know, everybody's well-meaning, but like you're saying, it's like you're getting advice. I'm sure uh, so much unsolicited advice about what, what you can do to fix this. It's like just at some point you just gotta, you gotta lock it out and figure it out on your own. But it is, um, you know, it's the, it's the great intimidation of the sport as far as I'm concerned is that that momentary the judgment on your, this momentary thing you know that's and and really i think the last thing any drag race driver wants to be is the is the lead story about their car's lack of success right
2: well every time you go up there it's like you're down by one and you've got two foul shots yeah. or you know yeah. you you need to make a putt but it's, it's not like 80 feet where no one expects you to make it. And it's not like two feet. It's like about right. an eight foot cut. Right. And if right. you make it, you're going to win the race and you should make it. And you often do make it, but you got to make it right now. Yeah, that's hard. That's a hard part, uh, for these drivers.
0: So, yeah, that's definitely, uh, it's definitely something Tony and I talked about earlier as well. It's uh, it's a, it's a big story. And just as much as it will be a big story when she's able to break this kind of mental block she's having or, or whatever is going on in that race car. Um, and it was we made a big story out of Brittany Forrest, of course, because Brittany, first couple of races uh, was looking great, she looked great in Pomona. Uh, she she looked good until she didn't in Phoenix, and you know she kind of went the opposite way. A, a racer that had outperformed her season average previously by hundreds of seconds, and then you know fell off the table for a 130. So it 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 comes and it seems to come and go for some people, very fleeting. Other people just lock into their spot and are able to repeat.
2: It's like Mike Salinas. That's the thing that makes absolutely no sense to me. You, you see people and whether they're with a mental coach or this or that people, they, they're not good on the lights. They can't maintain their concentration. Then they get some kind of training or some instruction and they do for a while. Yeah. And then like they regress to the mean and you're like, you know, we all are what we are. Sure. But Mike, Mike Salinas was pretty awful pretty much always and then in like one race i know by saying right. louis he'd already done it. it was maple grove it's like what the hell happened this is incredible what this guy's done
0: yeah and he maintains it and to your point that was the big question too it's like okay you know when we're in the countdown you're going hot and heavy you're you're you're, you're making rounds you're able to find that spot now let's take a couple of months off and see what happens well for him there was no degradation i mean the guy is he's right there and it again it changes the dynamic of that car. I know it changes the way people race him and it's great I mean it's a it's a <laughs> it's a bizarre as you said, but great story uh, and let's transition to pro stock lastly but not leastly here um you know Aaron Stan is this the year of Aaron Stanfield I asked Tony the same question like two races, two finals um just ice water in his veins as much as we talk about other drivers who, who kind of come and go on the starting line this this guy does not he is there.
2: Well, I mean, all he's ever won, all he's ever done is won in, in whatever he's done, you know, kind of like his dad. I mean, he just, he's always been good. He's never not been good. And, you know, if he had made any kind of run uh, in a final round at Pomona, like yeah. he had been making all day, he would have, he would have won on a whole shot and he would have two wins now, Yeah, you know, um, you see his interviews and, and I, you know, you can sort of see, how he does what he does. He's just a very calm person. He's grown up in the sport. I you know, I've never met him or anything, but it doesn't seem like anything faces him, right? He's not up or down. He's a very modest, likable person you want to see do well, and he just kills it all the time. I think he can you know totally I, win the championship.
0: And, and when you watch him, to me, there's like there's some Lee Shepard in this guy. Cause when you watch Lee Shepard's old interviews back in the eighties, he was the same way. You know, he was the, he was very matter of fact. It was Almost to the point of being frightening, right? When when somebody is that way, when, to me, when somebody is the the way that Aaron Stanfield is, and I mean this in a positive, it's like if I'm one of the other competitors and I'm watching this guy and, and my heart's going 500 miles an hour and I'm doing everything I can do to to win around, and I see this dude who's just like matter of fact, basically looking in the camera saying, "I am going to destroy everybody in my path." Um, that's a that's an intimidating thing.
2: Yes, because you know he's not. It's moments not too big for him. He's not in his own head. You know he, what I mean? Yeah, he's, he's not afraid of you. The, the he's hundreds.
0: not afraid of anything. Yeah. You
2: know who else I really like that I don't think we notice that much because he hasn't won a race is uh, Mason McGehee. Yeah, I like that kid. He he owns his dad. Uh, he was double against Red. Yeah. He 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 beats Erica on the tree, and we know she's her Dallas is a, is the best one out there. But it seemed like he kind of controlled the situation up there. I always thought with her, she just has a rhythm. You know, she goes up there and it seems like she's not just going to roll in first and let you come in whenever you want. Yeah. You know what I mean? She yep. maybe will go in that. But then when you think you've got her figured out, bam, she goes right in there and, and drills you. And it seemed like this time, if I remember right, it seemed like he just kind of got in there real quick, you know, and she comes in, the tree drops and there you go. Yep. He, he got her. And it just seems, he just seems to uh, he just seems to I don't know he, he keeps his composure under pressure a lot. I think I think he could win races.
0: Oh, he definitely can I mean, he was 001 that next round and unfortunately for him the thing rattled the tires, but he had I think he had 500 right he had five hundreds in his pocket. I mean, the, the his opponent was 52 and he was 001. It's like this kid's going to the final. It didn't yeah. it didn't go that way for him, but yeah, I agree with you very much on on Mason and and you know, he's like you said, he's he's a quiet kid, but he can definitely uh, can definitely get up there and, and make it happen when he needs to. And, you know, Camry, I brought this up with Tony. I'd like to get your take as well. I think this this watching this young driver figure it out in front of all of us is a cool thing. I've been impressed with how the car has run in qualifying, obviously. And, and at this point, it's going to come down to that whole learning to race on Sunday element for her. She's one and top alcohol dragster. She's raced fast door slammers. All that's fine. But to me, what this does with Camry and and her approach and how she's coming along, it validates the size of the stage here, right? Because she's won events before, but not at this level.
2: That's that's well put. I I believe it was Norwalk she won an alcohol dragster. And she hadn't been driving for very long. And that's a 520 car she's probably gone. 280 miles an hour, so you know she can handle that. She, I, I didn't even notice this. She had top speed at Pomona. Yeah, that's not ridiculous. I didn't even notice that till the other day. Um, she hasn't had a good light in two out of three, right? But it's a lot of pressure for you know, it's like it's a lot of pressure for these people. You know, I, I, I think I never actually thought of that till you brought that up. That's a good point. You know, you've been successful, but was it that many people in the stands? Like, you know, was it on TV? Uh, you know, we're keeping score here and we're all watching you and that that's hard on a person, uh, a young person. Um, we've talked to her at both races so far and she's, she's already got the interview process mastered. She comes off as totally modest and likable. Um, I, she'll be fine, right? Because as I understand it, she had great lights in testing and, you know, she's only made three runs in eliminations. I think she'll probably, um, I think she'll probably be, I hit her before too long. I wouldn't be surprised if she won a race. When you set top speed at an NHRA national event, you've officially got power, right? Yes. And so she could do it. And it would be great to see for it'd be great for the sport to see another woman in there. Doing
0: well, yeah, and and look, I I think the the hiring of uh, of Jimmy Yates was the masterstroke of that team, right? I think he's a calming presence. I think he's somebody that can look her in the eye and coach her along, and and clearly that uh, a man that is is well versed in in getting a car set up. And I think the double down on that for me is. Now that they know the car works, now you can really start to work on the personal level coaching or whatnot. It's not like you're chasing problems with the race car and trying to get her comfortable. It's like now we know the car is going down the racetrack, how do we how do we best help you?
2: I agree. When he in his career, when he had the power to win, he won. You know what I mean? He didn't yeah, I remember him saying something twenty some years ago I worked at National Drags and I was interviewing him, and he said that if you've ever done a clutch on a race car, he doesn't like back out the static and screw it back in. And, and he, whatever it is, when he starts, he just looks at the computer and figures, it needs like a quarter of a turn more base or a quarter of a turn less. And he never resets it again until that event is over. Then he screws it all back out to see if it's where his records indicated that it was. I never heard of anybody doing that. I thought that was unique. And, you know, I mean, he's won two championships and he's been involved with a lot of teams you know I mean if, yeah. if he's your crew chief when he says something you know you can believe it because he's been there he's done it
0: yeah you know, and, it's, and it's again a fun a fun process to watch uh, Greg Anderson kind of falls in that Steve Torrance mode that we talked about uh, at the beginning of this conversation where you know it's um, a victim of our own expectations of the guy but he doesn't look bad but he certainly doesn't look like he looked at this point in the year last year
2: no I I, I was looking at the points uh, coming home on the plane yesterday you know you kind of, it seems like Greg's kind of sucked this year, you know, like he, he was rolling along and then he, a lesser driver probably would have crashed in the, in the semis. When yes. far. I never. when you get that sideways that, that far down the track and then he totally lucks out or he would have lost the first round. And then he does lose, you know, not too far after that. You're like, nah, he's we're not doing too good. But then you look up, he's third in points. Right. So he's right. really, right. He's, he's not doing that bad, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, and and again, it's it's uh, that's going to be the war all season long as it has been. But elite certainly, in my eyes, at this moment, has uh, has the advantage over KB to uh, to whatever degree. And and like you said, we get into hot weather races, we get into hot race tracks. This this whole this whole argument kind of shifts on its head as well. But uh, so I guess one last question before we uh, before we end our conversation here. Who has been the single biggest standout for you so far over two races, if not a single person? What has been your biggest takeaway from these first two races that we can carry ahead in the season?
2: Jimmy Prock, Chris Cunningham, Robert Height—that's some pretty amazing stuff that they're doing. That's—I'm blown away that they could be that successful over this many runs. Doesn't it doesn't get you to the end of the season? I mean, that's—I don't remember a season like this where. We're only two races in, but you're like, we don't know who's going to win. We do not know who's going to win. You know what I mean? Like, in years past, you'd be like, all right, there's the first two for Torrance. A couple years ago, he doesn't even run the first race or last year, and then he wins the damn championship anyway. You know, this year, you know, is Mike Salinas going to win? I don't know. I still wouldn't say he's the favorite. You know, height probably is. Aaron Stanfield, you wouldn't even say he's the favorite, although he certainly could. I, I think that, I think the best thing is how wide open it is. And I think the most impressive thing to me has been Robert Heights team in Funny Car.
0: Yeah, I can buy I can buy all that. I think, you know, in my in my preseason mind, I really had these first two races penciled in for Torrance because um I figured everybody else was gonna be getting themselves put together. We got all these fresh teams and these guys working together and I figured there's gonna be a lot of little you know, little small mistakes get made and they get cleaned up over time, but I thought I'm giving the edge to Capco over these first two races because they're coming in unchanged. They're going to be doing their thing. Unbeknownst to me, they've, they've they've gone down this kind of testing road. But, yeah, I love it. I legitimately love the fact that you look at a qualifying sheet now, the cars are fast to start with. Uh, in context of each other, they're fast. And then, secondly, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like in in Top Fuel, was it, uh, Milliken qualified thirteenth, right? I mean, it's like this is that's the other Crazy. cool thing that people can come out of these different spots and and actually win these things as well. So it, um, yeah, as much as we always want to talk about how unpredictable it is, the, we've grabbed another gear as far as that goes this year. I agree with you. John Venny, thanks for taking the time today and I uh, look forward to seeing you in Gainesville, Florida at the Gator Nationals just a few weeks from now. It is um, as awesome as our crowd was in Phoenix and it was just a jamming crowd. The energy of that track is unreal. The mammoth that is Gainesville Raceway is going to be bursting at the seams. We've been uh, hearing some very positive things in terms of what the pre-sale of tickets looks like. So um, I don't know, man. There's We all have our favorites and and when Gainesville on Saturday and Sunday, when that place is absolutely loaded down with people, is nothing else like it.
2: I agree. It's going to be awesome. It's one of the best races of the year every single year.
0: Todd Benny NHRA on Fox. pit producer, thanks, man. Thank you, Brian. Man, that was fun. Really fun to have both Todd and Tony come on and give us their impressions of these first two races of the year. We'll be back next week with a Gator Nationals preview show as the Amelie Oil NHRA Gator Nationals are coming, and it is going to be Absolutely spectacular. As mentioned, big car counts, performance is going to be wild, and the grandstands will be packed to the rafters. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Get your tickets for Gainesville at NHRA.com, and we'll see you at the drag strip.